there's times where for HR, we know it's tough because it's a little bit gray. We're not sure if we're doing the right thing and we're probably gonna tend to give some grace to the hiring manager to accommodate what they would like to do. But there was no gray area here. This was, this was clearly, as you said about the broadcast, this was clearly a train wreck unfolding before their eyes. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Well, this week, we're going to try something a little different. Rather than have a guest on to talk about just a single topic, we're going to talk about a few hot topics, HR-related news items. If this goes well, we'll probably make it a regular thing. And if it turns into a train wreck, well, you can go to goodmorninghr.com and get a full refund. But if it is a train wreck, there's nobody I'd rather take down with me than my buddy Jimmy Taylor. Jimmy has been a guest on the show. He's executive director of Dallas HR, and right now he and his team are knee-deep in preparing for this October's HR Southwest Conference. But he's also, over his career, been a recruiter, an HR consultant, an entrepreneur, and in fact, he is a co-founder of one of the trailblazing recruitment process outsourcing firms in Texas, and he's also... For we've known each other for close to a couple decades, and he's a giant Sherm uh, volunteer. And nobody's ever called Jimmy Giant before, so uh, that's probably a first. So, um, so welcome back to Good Morning HR, little Jimmy. I'm glad to have you. So glad to be here, Mike. I do have to say, every time I come on, based on the introduction, I scratch my head and promise to never do this again. But uh, thrilled, thrilled to have the conversation. And is there any more time for hot topics in HR than there are today? Right now, yeah. It seems like the last three years, it's just been it's just been you know dodging bullets left and right. But there's some interesting stuff going on right now, and so I uh, that's why we kind of thought, well, you know, we actually you know I'll pull the curtain back here a little bit. We usually record our episodes six weeks to two months before they actually air, which makes it hard to do a timely topic. And so, you know, if we do this well, and so if you don't screw it up, Jamie, it's all on your shoulders, uh, we will uh, probably the last uh, episode of each month just do something local, you know, you know, time local and uh, and see what, uh, you know, related to HR stuff. So, but the hot topic right now that everybody's talking about, especially over the last two or three weeks is chat GPT and AI. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about what chat GPT can do for, um, HR folks and for job seekers. And if you, if you've been under a rock for the, the last six weeks, uh, chat GPT is a, a artificial intelligence system, uh, that you can type in, natural language questions and it gives you long feedback and then people are using it to write blog articles and uh, all kinds of information uh, and some of it's good and some of it's coming out pretty generic but I had to write a non-disclosure agreement for a group of TCU kids who we have working on their capstone project for us and uh, I typed in give me a, a non-disclosure agreement for uh, this situation 
and uh, it it sent it to me. I sent it to one of my buddies who's an attorney, and he said, yeah, that's pretty good. It's good enough for TCU students anyway. So uh, it works. And so, you know, but that is a, you know, we are going to see more and more of it in HR. Uh, and I know Sherm has recently had an article about it, and a lot of the HR-related press has covered it. And on the flip side, people are concerned that, okay, well, what does that mean if uh, if my candidates are using ChatGPT to write their cover letters? Uh, you know, how is that fair? And Jimmy, as a recruiter, what would your response be to, to uh, uh, you know, somebody with that background and, and who's a specialist in employee selection issues? What would your your concern be? Would you be really worried if the if the cover letter was written by a, a robot? Well, before I before I jump to my thoughts on that question about the cover letter being written by a robot, I've got to say I, I really wasn't familiar with ChatGPT until I don't know maybe a couple of months ago when you started telling me about it, and I'm not sure if it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen or the most frightful thing I've ever seen. Uh, it, it's it is a fascinating topic. But back to the question about the cover letter, you know, Mike, I, I think. It, it's funny how things are just always go full cycle, right? But I, the interview process, I believe, is still so manufactured and artificial. I'm not sure just uh, a candidate that uses ChatGPT to write their cover letter is alarming. I think it's just one more step in a in a relatively flawed process. Um, in fact, I, I, I might even go on the candidate side and say, if I'm looking for somebody who's pretty technology savvy and they're using ChatGPT to write that, I can be pretty assured that they're uh, they're they're right and they're checking that box. So I don't know how alarmed I am about that, but it is uh, it is an interesting question for the interview process. I think the question goes deeper though, because certainly they have suddenly access at their fingertips to some some questions that they certainly might not be qualified to answer otherwise. Uh, and I I would think if they had a good handle on the questions that were going to be asked. They could be much better prepared than candidates have been in the past. And the problem with that is that that's artificial preparation, right? I mean, that's my my complaint about uh, resume coaches and uh, and a lot of you know there are a lot of really good organizations that are helping uh, job seekers out there. But when when they when they're you know it's a lot like we hear about you know high school students when they're when we're we're teaching them to the test, you know, and and we're telling them how to answer the questions right or a certain way to, there's some value there, but also are we really getting to know the right the candidate? But again, like I think uh, you and I are on the same page. The issue isn't the technology. The issue is you as a manager, you probably suck at interviewing. You're, I mean, you're not preparing for it. You're not writing your, your, you're not thinking through what are the competencies that I need to uncover? What are the core behaviors that I need to, you know, uh, dig into and understand about this candidate uh, and to really understand, you know, how they've solved problems in the past like this and, and how they've operated in an environment like ours and what do they bring that's unique to the table? Um, you know, when we just tell me about a time in your career where you had a conflict with a teammate. Okay. So yeah. Oh, good. Good for you. You took a behavioral interviewing class 20 years ago, but that doesn't tell you if this guy's going to be a good engineer or not. Mike, have you been sitting in on my interviews again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you won't hire me. So I'm doing something wrong. 
No, I, I totally agree with you. And it, 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 not that this topic is around recruiting, but we'll stay on recruiting just for a moment. I mean, it goes back to what we know to be true, and that is if we have a chance to really do um, in-depth um, in-depth interviewing that's based on the skills needed for the role, things that they can't fake just through an answer. Uh, and if we, if we have strong referral sources, including our own employees in terms of the candidates that are being brought in, we know those folks are going to perform higher, they're gonna stay with us longer, they're gonna be more engaged while they're on the job. I mean, it goes back to the truths we already know about what great recruiting looks like. Uh, so is it a game changer? It's interesting. I don't know that we've thought through it all, but uh, I don't know that it's going to improve or uh, or or take away from the current interview process because I think you got it right. It's it's the skills of that individual interviewer that really matter, and that willingness to to dive deep to you know to go back to the BEI type language to unpeel that onion, dig deeper, you know, and make a real connection with the candidate, you know, and really understand you know what their motivations are and those kinds of things. But from the can from either the interviewer point of view or the or the candidate's point of view, one of the cool things that I've seen people doing with ChatGPT is say, you know, say, uh, give me a list of questions uh, that I should ask in a job uh, interview with an engineering candidate, and it's actually pretty good at it. I mean, you know, it comes up with you know at least those starter questions to start to flesh stuff out. And uh, and it's never said, would you rather be a dog or a cat? It didn't ever give me that kind of dumbass question that people ask, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, Stallone or The Rock, you know, which one would you be? You know, those kind of things. So so at least it's got that going for it. Yeah. Don't you think it, it really speaks to the opportunity to really automate some pretty simple tasks within HR and really transform the work that we do. Uh, I, when I think about, you sent me uh, an excerpt from questions you had asked, and when you when you ask for suggestions on how to implement a chat GPT uh, process, the implementation steps were wonderful. Uh, so, I mean, think about all the things that we could do differently as HR leaders uh, in, in using that kind of technology to make our lives better and make our team's lives uh, more fun, more productive, and for and for listeners who have not played with it yet, I'm gonna I'll include a, a link to the OpenAI website, and you know anybody can access this right now. I'm I'm paying for a subscription for uh, to Chat GPT four and things like twenty bucks a month, which is the latest language model that they've got, and it, it and it's it's come out in the last couple of weeks, and it's incrementally significantly or almost exponentially better than the 3.5 of the previous version. But so I asked it, what problems might arise from using AI and human resources? And it gave me probably 150 words back, but it highlighted bias, which is definitely, that goes back to that, if you've got bad processes and you automate them, all you're doing is automating bad processes. And so if, if we train AI, not just ChatGPT, but in our, the AI in our employee selection process that, you know, more and more ATSs are coming out with what they call AI, which is often just a keyword search, but sometimes it really is. They are trying to implement a, some sort of artificial intelligence and really develop who your best candidates are. But if you're feeding them a bunch of demographic information that's not really relevant to the job, 
what you may end up with is a bunch of uh, six foot one white guys with blue eyes, and that's not a predictor that they, you know, that they're going to be a, you know, a, a great accountant or a great engineer. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. But it, it, but it recognized that, you know, it said, you know, AI algorithms can perpetuate and even amplify existing biases. Uh, and then it said lack of transparency, uh, privacy concerns. How are you collecting this data and using it? And I think that's a uh, here in the Texas legislature right now. Uh, Representative Cabrick-Leone uh, has got a bill uh, dealing with uh, privacy issues related to data collected by companies and how we use it. Uh, and then legal challenges it mentioned, and that's you know. Again, if we're creating a, you know, if there are disparate outcomes uh, based on, you know, you know, trash in, trash out, and if if what we're sending into the process is bad, and and the ethical concerns around it, people hate processes that they feel like are automated and not personalized, and I think that's absolutely a, a real problem. Yeah. What, one more thought I had is I've been thinking about uh, this artificial intelligence issue. You know, it, it's it's and I haven't seen any information and certainly no research on it yet. But every time a disruptive technology like this comes out, you know, it's always predicted to be a, a, a killer of jobs in the marketplace. And certainly I think some jobs will definitely change within HR teams based on technologies like this. Um, but what's what's your view on on whether it'll add to or take away from net jobs, because, and, and, and this one may be different, right? But IBM did some work years ago, and they analyzed disruptive technologies. And I think about, I was a recruiter a long time ago when technology really started to make an impact on recruiting. And as the internet really took hold, uh, the, the, the belief, the common theme was, recruiters' jobs are gonna go away. Uh, because anybody connected with anybody and we wouldn't need them to find people and make the introduction. I would argue that today recruiters' jobs have probably never been more important uh, than, than they are today. So I, I wonder about that with, with artificial intelligence. Some jobs are going to go away, but do you think it's going to add to the number of jobs overall or do you think it's going to take some away? Well, I think like with recruiters, I think bad recruiters, people who aren't really good at their job, ought to be really afraid of this, you know, like they would any other technology. But really good recruiters who add value, who aren't just doing post and pray, uh, you know, and that kind of approach to just, you know, who aren't just sorting resumes or applications all day and just doing an administrative clerical approach to recruiting. Um, and you know it. There's so many recruiters out there who aren't very good at it. I mean, who really do, who, you know, back when, when you know, when I was, you know, involved in recruiting and in and, and frontline HR, I expected that a recruiter was going to go find a candidate, not just wait for a candidate to stumble in drunk and fall down in front of my desk, and and then maybe I'd hire him. And uh, you know that you know I think a, you know a recruiter who is, is is smart and can use the data that's available and use AI to identify really strong candidates that they can outreach out to cold, you know, you know, candidates and, and reach out to them. And really, I think they're going to excel. And, and I think it goes the same way with, um, everybody complains they can't get answers from their HR department because HR is understaffed. And so I've got a question about my benefits. 
if you get a really smart AI system with a you know uh, you know with a chat box interface chatbot interface that you know and somebody can jump on my intranet or the network at the inside the company and say you know what is my maximum HSA contribution this year they don't have to talk to a person and it can spit it out okay what forms do I need and just follow up and that's perfect I mean, you know and I and I don't think it's going to be a net jobs killer uh, because I think every piece of technology we've seen sure there's not there's not many people out there creating buggy whips anymore but there are you know that you know the the gener- the industries that came after needed a different set of skills and the smart people went out there and got those skills and i think that's who's going to hurt the most is people who aren't uh either in a position or aren't willing to uh, you know constantly change their skills uh you know you shared with me uh uh, uh, an article around, you know, is, you know, around the, uh, that Suzanne Lucas, I think wrote that, who's also been a guest, uh, wrote, you know, about the death of the degree and is the, you know, our college degrees really, uh, oh, we are definitely keeping this video in, in the, <laughs> in the, in the, a podcast. So if you're listening just to the podcast, go find the video because the uh, Jimmy was sitting too still in his office and the lights turned out because the motion detector. And so he was waving his arms. And I'm, I'm saying this now just so that Rob, our producer, has to include this piece in the uh, in the podcast. You've got to see Jimmy waving his arms. Normally, I actually fall asleep before that happens. So that's, <laughs> that's too bad. But... Um, I think I think this is is really going to be a, an expander of jobs, and I think you know the the uh, the folks who embrace the technology and find new and innovative ways to use it to make HR more efficient. I mean, we've talked about HR wanting a a, a seat at the table for all these right. years, but we right. can't get out of the transactional stuff. But yeah. now, as soon as they want to take the transactional stuff away from us, we're screaming, oh, no, that's my job. I, I need job security. <laughs> and so um, I think, you know, but I think that's just the reality. Um, mm-hmm. s- lower skilled jobs are always going to get replaced by technology eventually because they're so right. expensive. And um, that's just the reality. So what does that mean? It means you got to go out there and build your skills. And smart companies who have those people on board already uh, are you know who who maybe need a skills upgrade, but you know they hopefully will realize it's better to upgrade those skills and, and on the company dime than go find you know it's, go find some you know let this person go and go find somebody you know who already has those skills. A lot of this stuff we can train our people to do. You know, the people want to grow. People want to grow professionally. They want to learn new skills. That's what you know. That's what one of the keys to happiness is. Uh, you know, when you read about happiness, it's it's that ability to continue developing in your areas of strength. And uh, and if an employer does that, you get better engagement. And so these are all just tools uh, that we can use. Um, I'm having lunch next week with a, a young man who's a, a graphic artist who's really in the last six months embraced a lot of AI stuff. And what he's doing with AI is just amazing on the graphics art side. And... Uh, even though it still wants to give people six fingers. I don't know if you've noticed that, but a lot of the AI-generated art uh, uh, ends up with people having six fingers or you know, uh, two earlobes on one side or something. So, but I'm start looking for that. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an ugly rabbit hole, uh, and because so much of the AI is trained off of what's uh, what's on the internet, 
a lot of the, <laughs> the art that's generated isn't safe for work. Uh, just, you know, you have to kind of be careful because sometimes, uh, you know, if the internet was your actual uh, model, sometimes things come back. But I and but the other thing I asked, what are p- potential benefits? I asked ChatGPT, what are potential benefits of AI? Improved efficiency, enhanced accuracy. Which, uh, if 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 it's if you've got good models and good data, um, and it's funny because it said one of the risks was bias, but then it also said one of the potential benefits was unbiased decision making, and I think that makes a lot of sense too. If um, if especially on the pre screening end of of uh, looking at candidates. The ability to, uh, you know, ignore intentionally ignore what what college they went to, or or even zip codes and things like that that we pick up on, or you know, um, spellings of names or other things that suggest cultural you know uh, relationships that we don't want our hiring managers to take uh, uh, to, you know, into account. If it can remove some of some of that and personalized experiences, the more you know, everybody complains about big data and everything that you know all these companies know about us. But if I can make my job, my candidate who I've never met, if they hit our site and I'm powered by an AI on the back end that already knows a little bit about them or can learn about them quickly and make this a really personalized experience, even if it's automated. That seems like a no-brainer, right? As far as a recruitment and, and uh, that's the first impression into the into uh, the organization. And of course, it, it mentioned cost savings, uh, predictive analytics, uh, and you know, knowing you know, having that idea to know AI is smart enough to say, okay, well, given the age of your population and your your past uh, you know insurance claims and all of this, this is. This is what you're, you know, this is what you should budget for this year, you know, and, and for it just to do that for you on that front end. Uh, and, and it did say uh, better candidate matching, which makes, which makes sense too. Yeah, that predictive piece is particularly interesting. If you think about uh, how much information, how much data is really available now and, and you wire that into the predictive component of, of the workforce, uh, I, I, I mean, it's almost impossible to really think about all the ramifications and potentially all the improvements that you could see over time. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some work to get there, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. And then finally, you mentioned it, but it, I asked it, you know, if an HR leader wanted to cautiously implement AI, uh, what are some tips? And it said start small, which is always good advice, right? Let's do a pilot. Let's te- you know, let's let's see what it w- does. Let's measure the outcomes. Let's see if they make 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 sense. Evaluate the data. Involve stakeholders. And we, everybody goes back to that plan, do, check, act. You know that model on everything. But yeah, you know, get your sta- your stakeholders on board and uh, in- include them in the process. Uh, mon- it said monitor and evaluate uh, the process, communicate clearly about how we're using uh, AI and HR and how it may impact their work, and, uh, and then c- keep human involvement, uh, balance AI with uh, human input. Input. So, you know, I don't that one think a little, we have That to, one sounded a little self-serving. Huh? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it, it, but it, I mean... It, yeah, the artificial intelligence said, "Yeah, keep us involved, but keep you know keep the humans involved too." And 
Um, you know, well, we don't want the Terminator movie, right? I don't want to go to work and have, you know, have, a, have you know, be greeted by the, the metal robot with the red eyes and, uh, you know, Skynet uh, signing my check. So, uh, you know, I want some human involvement in it, too. But I am not panicking about AI the way I'm seeing some folks online do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, again, it's disruptive, so it will change things. Technology always does. But I, I think it's, uh, I think there's some tremendous benefits coming from it. I don't, I, I don't, I think panic would be the wrong reaction. Until artificial intelligence includes a, a postscript that says, get rid of the people. Then when I read that in the chat, uh, then I'm going to probably get a little bit more worried. Yeah, you could probably eliminate positions like executive director of large nonprofits, uh, you know, especially <laughs> HR related ones. But beyond that, I did ask it, will AI eliminate the need for HR related podcast hosts? Uh, and it, it said, as long as you're not Mike Coffee, you're probably safe. So I, I thought that was a little over-personalized, but, uh, but it did say that humans can bring things to the table like creativity, empathy, and the ability to connect with an audience on a personal level. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. 24 years ago, I founded Imperative to help risk-averse companies make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. Often that involves giving employers thorough and easy-to-understand background checks on prospective employees. But sometimes that means helping families make well-informed decisions when hiring nannies or other caregivers. And outside of employment, we help services firms with their client acceptance and know-your-customer requirements. And we help investors research the principles and firms in which they are considering making private equity placements. Basically, if people are involved, there's risk involved. We help companies identify and mitigate that risk. You can learn more about Imperative at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 89 and enter the keyword HR Southwest. That's all one word, H-R-S-O-U-T-H-W-E-S-T. And now back to my conversation with Jimmy Taylor. Well, let's go on to topic number two out of the news. So UPS found itself in hot water. Um, they, uh, it's really a rare thing when the EEOC, well, it's a rare thing when the EEOC wins a case, if we're going to be honest. Uh, and they lose a lot of, you know, a lot of the cases that they, they take to court uh, that actually get before a judge and don't settle. But then they won a case in summary judgment, which is like, you know, the judge just said, oh, I don't even, we don't even need to have a trial here because UPS screwed this up so bad. They had an employee who came on board and they, um, the guy's name was Mark Fowler. He is diabetic and he told them during the interview, I will need to take short breaks during the day to measure my insulin and, you know, maybe eat an orange or whatever. And they said, no problem, Mark. We, we would love to have you here at UPS. First day on the job, the HR supervisor comes up and says, ah, we got some concerns about this, and we think you may be unfit for this position because of your disability. Okay, 
that's somebody with HR in the title and they said it that way, alarm bells should be going off at that point. And then she, the HR supervisor suggested, well, I think we should move you to a temp position. Okay, you know the guy's got a disability and now we want to move you to a temp position instead of the job we just, on day one. And uh, he refused. And then the next day, day two of employment, the HR supervisor leaves a voicemail on his phone saying that if he didn't accept a temp position, his second day on the job would be his last. Uh, well, so, okay, I'm not accepting the temp position, so I guess I'm not going back to work. And he assumed that was, you know, you said this is my last day, so I'm not going back to work. And then, so he didn't go to work. And UPS fired him. They said he, he abandoned his job. <laughs> Uh, and the court agreed that he was fired for the disability, right? <laughs> there are some stories that a plaintiff attorney must read that and go, this is just too good to be true. Somebody is scamming me on this. That couldn't really happen. Oh, my gosh. And so what did UPS do wrong here, Jimmy? Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike, I don't, I don't know where to start, but I guess... I guess there, it, it seems like there's a pretty clear lack of training for first-level managers in some basic, uh, in some basic uh, recruiting and management principles uh, that actually just happen to coincide with uh, uh, law. But, uh, I mean, I, I guess it's, it's indicative maybe of just how much work we still really actually have to do and, and leading and developing managers. Because, I, I mean, if I think if you said, just give me one thing they did wrong, it's just poor management. And we, uh, we've, we all see that, right? It happens so often. And, we, and look, managers are busy. They're doing a ton of things. It's a, it's a tough mantle of leadership that they wear. We get that. But uh, for a manager to be so uh, unaware of the legal and just good human practices of how to manage someone. Uh, in, in this case, it's 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 simply stunning. Um, so I guess that's the first place they went wrong. I don't know if we're going to go through the whole list. We could be here all day. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, the judge's opinion in the summary judgment decision was 22 pages long. That's and and when when you're the uh, when you're on the losing side of that, 22 pages is not a good judgment. I mean, you know, that's not a good decision. Um, yeah, you're right. Just treating people like people would be a good start, you know. Uh, and, um, you know, but if during the interview, an applicant tells you, hey, I've got a disability. Okay, well, let's go right now. Let's not just say gloss over it. Okay, well, that's not a problem. Uh, we, ha- we don't have any problem with that. That's fine. If they tell you, you know what's a really good thing to do? Let's start the interactive process right now. Let's find out. Okay, great. Um, you know, um, you're our ideal candidate, and we're going to make you this offer. So now let's talk about the accommodations. What do you really need? And let's go through it at the right time. Let's go through the ADA interactive process and figure out how to make you successful in this role. And stepping away from the job a few times a day to check your insulin and do Okay, no, that's not that's an easy accommodation. It's not, you know, it's not like he said I need to juggle chainsaws for half an hour every day. It's this is something simple. Not not only Mike is it a reasonable accommodation that's very easy, but very likely all they had to do is ask how did how did FedEx handle this? 
because he had, and then we don't know for sure that he was in the same role. He was a package loader, so we don't know if he was in the same role for FedEx, but if he were, were in the same role, certainly it seems like a reasonable question to find out what the accommodation looked like. Maybe it, it was unusual. Maybe instead of a quick, you know, finger prick that we really think of, maybe there was something about his condition that took him away from the job for 30 minutes. It doesn't feel like it, but there could be more there. But at least kind of digging deep into how that had worked for a similar role with a similar company seems like it would have been a prudent interview question. Yeah, and they said it would be a safety issue, uh, but they didn't go, clearly they didn't go through the interactive process at any level. So maybe it was, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know this guy. And, but even if there was a legitimate issue, you go through the interactive process and then you determine that. And when you fail to go through the interactive process, on its face, you violated the ADA when you make a decision based on somebody's disability. And so, uh, you know, and they hired him and then they, they do it. And then they leave a, the other, other rule is if you're going to be an a-hole, do it verbally. Don't write it down or don't send an email or leave a voicemail. Okay. <laughs> you know, and when you leave a voicemail on somebody's phone saying this, the second day, if you don't do this, the second, your second day on the job is going to be your last. Okay. That's exhibit A. I mean, I'm not telling you people do bad stuff to avoid litigation, but you you know don't don't put the bullet in the gun and hand it to, to somebody. And, and you know, just think about what you're doing. Uh, but it, clearly, nobody in this process was thinking uh, in this in this poor uh, this poor uh, plaintiff in this case just got the short end of the stick. And so it goes, like you said, back to management training, but this was also an HR supervisor, you know? And so what the heck is going on in HR over there that, and you know, well, when I first read it, my first thought was, and I, and I would almost bet money on it. This was an HR supervisor who was being led to accommodate the manager. The hiring manager had an idea, had an opinion and, you know, well, we don't want HR to have the reputation of being Dr. No. We, you know, and HR's got this reputation, they're always the police. And so, and I, I would almost bet that you'd had a very different circumstance if the HR supervisor had felt empowered to push back a little bit and to tell management, no, let's, let's go through this process and let's do it this way. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to throw her under the bus completely because... I've just seen too many HR people get stepped on by by you know ill-informed managers, and I think that's one of the things HR needs to uh, to do a lot better job of is uh, insisting that managers get educated in the process, and, and and sometimes it's on the job. Well, let me explain. You know, I always say HR is your uh, risk advisor not your risk manager. Your risk managers are that frontline supervisor all the way up to your CEO, the people who are actually making those decisions about how people are you know, treated in the real world. Uh, and, and But HR definitely has that responsibility to step up and say, if you do this, here's what the potential consequences are. Right. Particularly... Particularly when it's so overboard. I mean, this was not, this was not close. This was a clear-cut violation that the only way would, would they would avoid some kind of legal action is if the candidate just or the employee just decided not to pursue it right but certainly you know there's 
there's times where for HR, we know it's tough because it's a little bit gray. We're not sure if we're doing the right thing and we're probably gonna tend to give some grace to the hiring manager to accommodate what they would like to do. But there was no gray area here. This was, this was clearly, as you said about the broadcast, this was clearly a train wreck <laughs> unfolding before their eyes. And we've, we've made it two thirds of the way down the track and we haven't thrown the train off the tracks yet. So let's see if we can do it this time. Uh, our last topic, I have entitled, Has the NLRB Lost Its Freaking Mind? So back in February, uh, the NLR National Labor Relations Board came out with the McLaren-McComb decision that basically said severance agreement, the dis- non-disparagement and confidentiality clauses and, not- and severance agreements it can infringe on National Labor Relations Act Section 7 rights. In other words, you can't ta- have a have an agreement that uh, on separation that that limits an employee's ability to engage in union engage in or support union related activities and to improve the uh, in their opinion the workplace uh, and the in the working conditions of of their peers. Um, and so, you, certainly saying that this company treats its employees badly would violate a non-disparagement agreement and an overly broad confidentiality clause. You can't talk about your separation agreement. You can't talk about the details of your severance agreement. You can't uh, talk about how the company's what the company's policies with regard to people are. Uh, confidentiality clause as well. The NLRB uh, said that those infringe on Section Seven. So when that came out, a lot of people thought, well, that's, that's probably overstepping. And the real issue is these people are no longer employees, so how are we violating their rights to organize a union if they're no longer employees? And they, the board kind of addressed that a little bit, um, but there were probably still ways to do it, so, you know, have those confidentiality clauses and things and say, well, um, you know, but none of this is meant to – limit your section seven rights your and and you you definitely should you know, have the right to fully do those well this past week jennifer abruso their their general counsel uh came out with a new guidance to the regional officers offices at nlrb and said well let's go even further um this decision from february from the board is retroactive to all previously issued severance agreements so every severance agreement ever issued that's still in effect could be impacted and is potentially illegal under the national labor relations act according to the nlrb's current position and she also said that it may include uh non-compete clauses and and i I read her actual guidance and she said my opinion is this that it uh that it you know, this, this ruling may also affect non-compete clauses, no solicitation clauses, no poaching clauses, uh, liability, liability releases, covenants not to sue. And she didn't give any legal reasoning for why she thought all those things should be lumped in under this decision. So, so Jimmy, has the NLRB lost its freaking mind? (laughs) I don't know, Mike. I got to tell you, when I read this one and I, and I had not heard this and I really wasn't aware of it until you sent it my way. This was so bizarre, um, especially about the opinion 
you know, the date being irrelevant. Agreements signed prior to 221-23 were impacted by that. Not only are they impacted by that, but the company has the obligation to go back and inform those employees that their agreements were overly broad and advising them that they're null and void, and they won't enforce the agreements or pursue any penalties. I mean, I, it's it's stunning, and I I would be surprised if it's upheld when it's challenged. But um, I, I don't know. I, uh, I I'm almost speechless on that one. Well, and the thing is, is you know, this is a federal government agency, and and they are very good at overreach. And the Biden administration, when they came into office, said one of their one of their big concerns were non compete agreements and. Um, and, and so this is, you know, kind of an oblique way of dealing with some of those things, maybe. The good news, I think, is that Chev- the Chevron deference, that, that, I, that, that legal concept uh, that courts should defer to administrative agencies' uh, rules and policies and interpretations uh, is really getting watered down. And... Uh, especially the Supreme Court is, is not real big on it. And, and a lot of federal courts are pushing back that Congress needs to do its job. And, and it's, you know, and if this, if this is really what the law, you know, what the agency thinks the law needs to be, then Congress needs to go rewrite the law to include that rather than letting agencies, uh, you know, the administration, the, that branch of government uh, just create uh, law and policy out of whole cloth. So that's the good news. But what I'm afraid of is, okay, so we've got a, a Democrat uh, in the White House right now. So the administration is generally, in LRB especially, is going to be generally pro-employee. So we get a Republican in next term or the term, you know, at some point in the future. And it swings back the other way. And rather than having court decisions or, or new laws that, that uh, inf- you know, require this, uh, you know, they interpret this this way, we just get a new NLRB decision that says, oh, no, forget all of that. Go back to what you were doing before. Everything's fine. And then we just swing back and forth like we do with Weingarten rights now with the Rhine, you know, when, you know, um, you know, whether a non-union employee has a right to have a representative in during a um, uh, conversations with management about performance and other kinds of issues. The uh, you know it depends on who's in who's in charge, and it changes back and forth. And so now, if if you know every time I sign a severance agreement, it, it's its validity depends on who the the next president is uh, and what the future rulings will be. Right? Yeah, it, it's just nuts. And then the other thing is is okay if I can't have a severance agreement. To the whole point of paying somebody the money in a severance agreement is to settle any claims and, and be done and move on. Right. Yeah, and and if I can't do that, I'm not writing those checks. So there's going to be a lot right. of if if severance agreements become almost impossible to do. Well, then what that really means is who's going to write? Who's going to pay a, a you know? Who's going to pay a severance anymore? I mean, if I don't get as an employer anything for it, if I can't prevent myself from from you know any potential liability in the future, if I can't pay it right now, uh, you know I can't just say, hey, let's you know let's just cl- make a clean break. Then then the people who are really going to lose are the ninety nine percent of the people who were never going to file a claim anyway. But you right. know if I can't get anything as an employer for that money, 
you know, am I going to well, write a check? Mike, you seem to be implying that sometimes federal overreach leads to unintended consequences that actually harm the constituents they're trying to serve. But surely I'm mischaracterizing. Yeah, that yeah, position. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're totally mischaracterizing everything I'm saying there. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I just as an employer, and somebody who works with lots of employers, this is, you know, this will put throws so much uncertainty into into that employee employee relation. That you know, when we're terminating, it's already a, a sticky situation when we're terminating somebody's employment, whether it's for cause or because of economic situations in the organization, we're just laying people off or whatever. Uh, and this one actually happened. Uh, the the, the uh, McLaren-McComb decision really came out of a COVID-era healthcare organization that had to lay, you know, lay people off. Uh, and, and so you're laying people off. They're not even employees. And, and you know, so now the NLRB's uh, jurisdiction – goes way beyond just the the beginning and end of termination employment term you know uh relationships so i don't know how it's going to end up the good news is that she did at least acknowledge it doesn't apply to supervisors uh except that we do never always remember that you can't retaliate against supervisors who are uh acting in accordance with uh any you know with with laws you can't you can't do stuff uh you know but other than that you can still do seven, and most of your severance agreements, really, if we're going to be honest, especially the confidentiality and non-competes and all those things, those are generally supervisors, higher level people who aren't, uh, you know, the the rank and file type union members. Although, you know, I've seen severance, you know, I've seen confidentiality clauses and non-compete clauses for janitors and stuff like that. So, I mean, some companies are, are really broad with that, but, and I would advise against that. Any other thoughts about that issue? No, this will be an interesting to watch, one to watch. I mean, because you, as you think about the ramifications, you know, obviously over time, it's a position that will extend way beyond concerted activities and, and, and the control of those things. And, you know, the repercussions um, could be pretty severe, but I think there's, I think there's probably a lot of a lot of water that's got to go over, over under that bridge before we really know the impact of this particular ruling. But it, as as the uh, as the article talked about, it's pretty jaw dropping. Yeah, and and what what I will also add here, and I should have said to the front, neither Jimmy or I are attorneys. Jimmy, we both decided to keep our souls. Jimmy kept his by not becoming an attorney. And I actually had to hawk mine, but I, if I, in three more easy payments, I'll have my soul back soon. So, uh, we'll, uh, you know, but we're not attorneys. So go talk to your legal counsel because this is a, in effect immediately. It's not like they gave us a, uh, July 31st and a future date when it would be active. I mean, they said, in fact, right now, the, the general counsel is basically saying all of our previous severance agreements were violations of the act. And so, Go talk to your counsel and uh, you know, and make sure that uh, you're acting under color of uh, of their advice and uh, do that. But well, hey, Jimmy, yeah. we made it. We made it through a whole episode and uh, no complete train wrecks, but we got close yeah, a couple of times. We tried. We'll get better. Um, but, but hey, thank you so much, Jimmy, for for being on the first HR News podcast. I got to come up with a better term. So, uh, so listeners, give me a better term for our monthly. HR News, uh, uh, Good Morning HR issue because HR News is 
news you can use is, is, is a little cheesy. So we'll, we'll keep working on that. But listeners, thank you for doing your job listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperative's marketing coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, unless we get canceled. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.